There are two ways to see work. The two primary ways that people view the work that they do are either as a curse or as a climb. The work that you do is either some obligatory task that is essential to life in order to keep food on the table and clothes on the kids' back. If you see work as a curse, you probably typically talk about it as a job. I gotta go to my job, I hate my job, I don't like my job, 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 job. And then there are those who see it as a climb. You tend to talk about it as a career. It's my career. It's like a mountain you're trying to scale, a ladder you're trying to get to the top of. And not only is it a way to provide for your family, put the kids through college, put yourself in a decent set of wheels, it's primarily a way to prove yourself the higher that you climb. Which of those two views fits best for you for the work that you do, no matter what it is that you do? Do you see it as a curse or do you see it as a climb? The reason I ask is because people of faith are invited to a third way, a third and different way of seeing the jobs that we have. Not a curse or a climb, but instead as a calling. Now, the fancy $5 word for this is vocation. It means that God has placed you where you are, put you where you are for a purpose where you are, no matter where you are. Followers of Jesus are invited to see the work that they do, indeed the many hats that we wear, as invitations from God to do his work in the world, at home, in the marketplace, and beyond. We are invited to see our work as divine. Indeed, I would go so far as to say this, that all work, whether you know it or not, whether you believe in him or not, all work is divine. All work is of God. Now, that alone is a massive paradigm shift for many of us. All work is of God. Think about that. If you spend your days changing diapers, that is divine. It is. If you spend your days behind Excel spreadsheets, that is heavenly. If you spend your time moving heavy machinery, you are doing the work of the Lord. If you spend your days trying to put people into a certified pre-owned Honda Accord, you are bringing heaven to earth. It's true. You see, God has made a promise to all of creation. Just as Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, God makes the rain fall on the just and the unjust alike. He is loving and providential to everyone and everything. All good gifts come from the Father. God has promised to protect and provide, to sustain life for all of us. And your work plays a role, no matter what it is that you do, your work plays a role in God keeping that promise to all of creation. People of faith are invited to think about it like this, that the work that I do, no matter what it is, in some way, big or small, is part of God's work to answer someone else's prayer. You know, we often pray in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. Well, someone has to bake it and drive it and deliver it, and sell the flour to the bakery downtown. And we all have a part to play in God answering that prayer, give us this day our daily bread. All work is divine. All work is of God. And the key as a follower of Jesus to joy and urgency and, and meaning in your work is trying to find that line of how what I'm doing connects to meeting somebody else's need in God's name.
That's the key. And it's important to find that and to, and to have this view in hand because it adds urgency and importance to the work that we do. And it's good to have urgency and importance and meaning in our work because if you haven't figured it out yet, you will soon enough that life is full of work. You can make the case that we were made for work. I don't even have to make the case. It's a biblical truth. You were made for work. Before the curse came, there was work. In Genesis, where we get the story of all things in their beginning, God says to mankind, you are going to work six days and then rest for one. He doesn't say you're going to rest for six and work for one. He doesn't even split it 50-50. You think that would be nice? Just put it down the middle. Half work, half play. No, what does he say? You are designed to spend the bulk of your days laboring. And then some of your days resting. And you know that this is true because if you were to spend all of your days resting, it wouldn't be good for your health. It also wouldn't be good for your relationships as everybody looks at you and goes, must be nice. No, you, you and I know that we need to work, we need to be busy, we need to stay active. You were designed to spend your days doing lots of things. Think of it in terms of numbers. The average human being will spend 150,000 hours over the course of his or her life working. That's about 40% of your life. By the age of 40, most Americans will have changed their job 10 times by the age of 40. And that's supposed to increase. That number, that rate of change is supposed to increase as the years goes on. Work plays a massive role in our life. And so it's important that we, as followers of Jesus, we have a right understanding of what our work is and who it's for. And in fact, I would say this, that, that we are invited to see Jesus as the model of faithful work. We've been talking over the last few weeks about how Jesus makes everything brand new. You get a brand new approach to family, a brand new approach to marriage and kids, and you get a brand new approach to all the labor that we do in our lives. And what we're invited to do is to see Jesus as the, as the example for us and what it means to be faithful in a calling. The scriptures tell us that, that Jesus' mindset towards living, dying, and rising is to be our mindset as we face the faithfulness that's put in front of us. That's a big part of what Paul is talking about in Philippians chapter 2. But let's look again at what he says. Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 5. Now, before I read this, just a little bit of context, something to keep in mind. Paul is, in all likelihood, writing this from prison. He's under house arrest, probably chained to the floor. He has some freedom. Some people can visit him. Obviously, he's, he's given the ability to, to write and send out communication, but, but he's under house arrest for preaching the gospel. And yet, he's talking about being faithful to the work that God has called you to. Look what faithfulness has got him. So he must really mean this, really believe this. This is, this is embedded deeply in his soul, not to mention the fact that the Holy Spirit is working through him to say this. Look at what he says, starting at verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, followers of Jesus, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. I think the first thing that we see if we were to have this mind among ourselves, as Paul says, 
is that Jesus, Jesus in his work, he valued serving over striving, you could say. He valued sacrificing and giving and and loving others more than proving himself. I mean, Paul reminds us that, that Jesus is God in flesh, God's own son, and yet he did not consider equality with God, though he was equal with the Father. He did, not, he did not consider proving that equality a thing to be worthwhile, but instead emptied himself of all evidence of the divine and became a servant. He could have come into the world holding and proving and striving to make clear that he is the Son of God, God in flesh. Instead, what does he do? Rather than arrive in power, he arrives in weakness. Rather than arrive and set himself up as a prince, he sets himself up as poor. Rather than walk around and everywhere lay down his credentials and be like, I'm kind of a big deal. He loves and he serves. And you and I are invited to do the same. To see our goal in our work, if Christ's mind is going to be our mind, to see our goal as serving more than striving, seeking to love and give to the people around us, co-workers, kids, whoever it is, rather than using co-workers and kids or whatever venue we're in to prove ourselves and strive to make it clear that we're enough, that we're incredible, that we're awesome, that we're worthy of love and respect. Now, you might be thinking, well, well Pastor Matt, that's easy for Jesus, It's easy for Jesus to choose serving over striving because Jesus knew he was God's own son, God in flesh. I mean, he could stand confidently on that truth and then then be humble. But I don't have the luxury of being so confident in who I am. And I would say, ha ha, that's precisely the problem. Here's what happens. Jesus knew who he was and that freed him to humbly embrace service over striving and proving. Our problem and the reason that our work so often as followers of Jesus becomes a playground more for our egos rather than serving others is because you and I, we forget who we are. No, you are not God in flesh. But you are, through belief and baptism, you are a a, a daughter of God. You are a, a son of God. You are filled with his spirit. You are covered in his promises. Your future is secure. You belong to his family. God the Father looks at you and what he says is, this is one whom I love and with whom I am well pleased. But very often we forget that truth. We forget what we already have. And so then we use our work as a way to prove to the world who we are. And then we turn our coworkers or our clients or even our kids into a means to our own end of proving our capabilities and propping up our egos. And we use the tasks of work as means of proving our worth rather than, than seeing the tasks as mundane and minuscule as they may be as gifts of love to the people who are on the receiving end of them. But you are you are encouraged and invited as a follower of Jesus to remember who you are and let that free you in the workplace to say, I'm here, I'm here to serve. Because all the things I would strive for through this work are actually already mine in Jesus Christ. I remember when I was in high school, they had us take a test 
uh, a test to see what our career should be. It was put on by the guidance office, and you had to take this, this inventory and answer all these questions about yourself, and then it spit out these results with a whole list of suggested careers for you. And I remember looking at my friends, they were all comparing their lists, and they were all, they were all being suggested really great careers, like they were being suggested that they should consider being a a scientist or an engineer or, or a doctor. And then I looked at my list and it suggested that, that I should be a, a social worker. That's good. That's, that's okay. That's good. It said public service, which I think is code for politician. No. And then the last one, the last one said, um, it said puppeteer. I remember taking my list to my friends and just kind of asking, like, hey, did you guys, do you guys have anything kind of strange on, on your list? Like, maybe they throw everybody a curveball. Anybody, anybody have any hints of Sesame Street on their list? And, <laughs> and they're all like, no, what are you talking about? Like, oh, no reason. And, and then you had to sit down with the guidance office and, and talk about your results. And, and I remember complaining to the guidance counselor, like, why does it say I should be a puppeteer? And she's like, oh, you, you can forget all that. And I said, well, I then why did you have me take it? Because I have a feeling that it's going to take me a long time to get over this puppet thing. <laughs> and, and she said, what you should focus on is this. Answer this question. What do you want to get out of your work? And I, and I thought at the time that was a really good question. And, and I have to be honest with you, as I've wrestled with that throughout the many years since, I don't know that I've ever been able to come up with a satisfactory answer. I mean, I do have answers of what I'd like to get out of my work, even as a pastor. I would, like to be, I would like to be known as being good at it. I'd like to be known as being faithful to the task. I'd like to be, you know, get some affirmation here and there. Like, I want what you want. But, but I don't know that I've ever settled on one thing I'm hoping to get out of, out of the work that I do. How would you answer that question? What do you want to get out of work? Now, as, as you wrestle with that for a second, I would encourage you to consider that there's actually a better question to ask than that one, even if that's a decent question. And the better question to ask comes again to us from Jesus. So, so we see that Jesus values serving over striving. And what we're going to see now in Paul's letter is that Jesus also values responsibility, or you could say uh, duty or faithfulness, over desire. And, and there's clearly a, a different question at work in Jesus' work. He's not asking the question, what do I want to get out of this? Uh, what he's asking is this question, what does love require? What does faithfulness to my father require? And I think for people of faith, that's ultimately a better question because if the statistics bear out, you're going you're to change careers a handful of times. You're going to have a numerous number, uh, any number of vocations in your life. And if you're constantly kind of navel-gazing, going, what do I want to get out of this? What do I want to get out of this? You're never going to be satisfied. But instead, there's a question that you can't answer in every season, in any job. What does faithfulness look like? What's it going to require of me? And am I ready to give it? That, that, that's really a better question. And you see, Jesus embraced faithfulness to the Father over his own needs and wants and desires. He valued being faithful to the commands of the Father over doing what, what might be instinctual to the human heart, even at great detriment to himself. Look at what Paul says. Paul says this, now in verse 8. He says, Jesus Christ being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. So, so what's the humility here? The humility is, is not doing what the human heart would desire, but instead submitting to the will of the Father, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
Here's the truth, and it's one that we don't talk about very often in the church, but it's worth mentioning. You know, Jesus Christ, what we believe is fully God and fully man. Fully God and fully man. And, and there are moments, as you look at Jesus' life in the Gospels, where you see the, the divinity of Jesus is, is clearly coming through. And then there are moments where you see the, the humanity, sinless, but the humanity of Jesus coming through. One of those moments is in the Garden of Gethsemane, where it's very clear Jesus Christ, in his humanity, did not want to go to the cross. He did not want to go to the cross, to the point where he even says to his father, Father, take this cup, this cup of wrath, the, the punishment for, for all mankind that he's about to drink, so to speak, in dying on the cross. Take this cup away from me. If you can, Father, take it away from me. I don't want to do it. But ultimately, what does he say? Not my will, but your will be done. And what you see in Jesus as he's doing the work of saving the world is there's this moment where, where the, the wants of the heart and the will of the Father are tempted to diverge, right? And what Jesus does is rather than veer off towards the instincts and the wants of the, of the human heart, what he does is he, he goes towards the will of the Father. He becomes obedient to the will of the Father because the will of the Father is love for others, even at cost to self. And so he submits to that, he is obedient. He is loving more than he is selfish. And, and there is the same invitation to you and to me. What it means to be a follower of Jesus and to have the same mind of Christ in our own work is to understand that there will be points where, where the wants of my heart, what I desire, and the will of the Father in my work are tempted to diverge. Where I'm tempted to say, well, I'm just going to do what I want. I'm going to do what I think is best. I'm going to do what is right for me in this moment. And you can see it's at odds with, with the love that your coworker needs, the kindness that a client deserves, or the compassion that a boss should be given, or the patience that children require. And what you are called to do is, even at great cost to yourself, to choose the act of love and kindness and compassion and patience because it is the will of the Father that love should be known in this world through you, through the work that you do. And so what followers of Jesus do is what he did is we, we value responsibility, duty, faithfulness over even our own desires. And that's hard. But that's the way of Christ. Now, now, let's talk rewards. It's, it's, it's hard for us to talk about work without also talking about pay, right? I mean, you, you have to talk about pay. And I recognize that not all vocations, <clears throat> excuse me, not all vocations are paid. But the scriptures are clear that whether you're paid or not, work should be remunerated. That even if you're in an unpaid position, you're in an unpaid vocation, that you should be given appreciation, gratitude, thanks, and recognition. And that if you are being paid for your work, you should be paid generously, you should be paid fairly, you should be treated well. If you're headed into a negotiation about salary, pay, all those kinds of things, come see me. I got some verses you can bring with you, okay? It's okay to have a reward in mind. That, that, that's not bad because good work gets rewarded well. I'll even say this. Did you know that Jesus had a reward in mind in his work? His work of living, dying, and rising. He did. Let's jump to two places. Hebrews chapter 12 and then back to Philippians. Hebrews chapter 12. The writer of Hebrews says this. Let us look to Jesus, 
the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And now back to Philippians chapter 2. Because Jesus Christ has been faithful, humble, God the Father has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. What was the joy set before Jesus that helped carry him through the work of the cross and the empty tomb? Well, it's twofold. The first part is you. You. You are the joy, the reward for Jesus. Seeing you come to faith, seeing your sins forgiven, seeing you sit here and sing God praise, seeing you as a member of God's forever and eternal family, that's part of the reward for Jesus. You were the joy set before him that made him able to endure it. But the other part of it is the recognition that the Father would give. We see in Hebrews and in Philippians, Paul says, and the writer of Hebrews says, because of Jesus' faithfulness, Jesus is exalted to the highest place, given the name above every name, the heavenly realm, and the Father himself recognizing, celebrating, rejoicing at the work that Jesus has done. So what drives Jesus to faithfulness, knowing that that his work will be recognized by the ones who matter most and, and that it will, be, it will be rewarded through people, you, me, us, coming to faith and a family being built. Now, what's the application to you and me? Well, I think we can learn, we can learn this. For Jesus in his work, he was more, more focused on eternal reward than earthly return. He was more focused on eternal reward over earthly return on the investment of his efforts. Now, again, I'm not saying you shouldn't get paid and paid well, but here's what you as a follower of Jesus need to understand. Money gets spent. Plaques that are on a wall get put in a box and eventually sold at a garage sale. Retirement accounts eventually are emptied. The the earthly returns ultimately are either spent or lost in the end. But there is, according to the scriptures, a, a currency of heaven that is always valued and celebrated. Jesus talks about the treasures in heaven. What he's talking about are the values of heaven that can be lived out today, and that when they're lived out today, they reverberate in eternity and are celebrated forever. Those values are, are, are love, compassion, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. These things are celebrated in the heavenly realm and last forever. And when you embrace those things in your work, whatever your work Work is all of heaven rejoices and it reverberates eternally long after your body's in the ground and the money is all spent and what we are called to do is be mindful of that that if I'm going to invest my heart and energy into anything let it let it not merely be money but let it also be the eternal currency of heaven and the other side of it is this you need to know that that God sees and rewards your work Now, I want to be clear on this. I am not at all saying that we are saved by our good works as we work. No, we are made members of God's family, given the gift of faith by grace through faith alone. And salvation is an offensively free gift of God. You are not saved by your good works, but know this, God does see and celebrate your good works. We are told that in the end, 
when Jesus Christ comes back and restores all things and, and we are with him in eternity, that there will actually be an accounting and a celebration of your good works and my good works, the, the faithfulness that we showed in our various vocations. We don't really know what that looks like, but we are told in the scriptures that, that it is seen now and will be celebrated in the end. And so the invitation to us is to not merely work for earthly returns, but to understand that there is an eternal and heavenly reward. There's a currency that we can, we can, we can work in that lasts forever and reverberates in eternity. And there is a God above us who sees and celebrates the faithfulness that we show, even though, even though your boss may not see it, even though your coworker may not see it, even though your spouse or your kids may not see it or appreciate it. God does. And you need to remember that. And that's a good refrain to keep in your head, especially on the bad days, especially if, in, if you are in a job that you cannot stand or where you're trying to, to serve more than strive, where you're trying to be faithful more than just follow your desires. You're trying to be loving to the people around you, but it's not appreciated, not reciprocated. What you need to do is have this refrain in your head. God sees, God knows, God celebrates. Because I am in Christ, God sees, God knows, and God will celebrate. He sees, he knows, he celebrates. And let that let that drive you and motivate you and comfort you. Now, now, with all that said, I need to recognize that this, this is a high calling and a hard thing to live out in our work. That we would seek to serve rather than strive and prove ourselves. That we would seek to be faithful rather than just scratch the itch of our own desires. That we would seek eternal rewards rather than merely earthly returns. This is really difficult. And some would say even risky because if you are not using your work as a way to look out for yourself, then who's looking out for you? And I understand that. But think of it like this. How would you approach work if you knew that, that Elon Musk and all of his money had your back in work? No, no matter how you feel about him and his, and his politics and rocket ships and Twitter and all that stuff, just his money, his billions of dollars. If you knew that his billions were backing you at work, in essence, you couldn't fail because his money would be there to catch you. Uh, would you have a little more peace about how the project turns out? Probably. Would you be in, emboldened to be perhaps a little more adventurous or entrepreneurial or risky in your work, knowing that, that there was a safety net, something to catch you if you fall? Probably. Now, it's a bad analogy, but it works, I think. There is a similar truth at work in Jesus Christ for you. All of Jesus, Christ, all of Jesus Christ's work is yours. And, and here's the truth. You can work for others because Jesus Christ works for you. All of his work has been given to you. All the treasures that he's earned through his life, death, and resurrection has been credited to your account. account. Now your sins are forgiven. Your future is secure. His spirit is within you. All of that is backing you. And that is meant to give you peace and boldness in your work, no matter what work you do. Not only that, but Jesus Christ has a full-time job to this day. Did you know that? Sure, the work of saving the world is largely done in his life, death, and resurrection. But he still has a full-time job. When he ascended into heaven, he was seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And what do you think he does all day at the right hand of God the Father Almighty? Watch Netflix? No, the scriptures tell us. Jesus himself tells us that he spends his time interceding for you. He spends his time with his eyes on you, 
praying for you, advocating for you to the Father with his eyes on you while you're at work, while you're in the cubicle, or while you're with the kids, or while you're doing some project in the backyard, whatever it is, his eyes are on you and he is interceding for you. He is saying to the Father, we we might need to keep a special eye on him today, looks like he's struggling. Oh man, she has stepped in it this week. She's going to need some extra grace and mercy when she comes to church this weekend. She's going to need some peace. He's going to need some hope. Let's give that to them. He is interceding for you. That's how you can do your work because Jesus Christ and all his work is given to you and Jesus Christ works to this day for you and for your good. That's how you can do this. That's incredible to me. I know it's scary to say I'm going to serve and live for other people, but Jesus Christ is serving and living for you. Um, every time I preach a message like this, I said this last week, people are hungry for a little bit of practical advice. And, and so I want to shift gears quickly as we close just into that. One of the prayer requests that I often get is this, um, Pastor Matt, how do I know when it's time to leave a job or how do I know that I'm stepping into the right job? And, you know, based on some biblical wisdom and, and things, here's typically what I would offer. Um, and, and maybe you're feeling this as we talk about all this stuff of how to work in a brand new way with the mind of Christ. Maybe you're feeling this. You're like, I don't know if I need to change. I don't know if this opportunity in front of me is the right opportunity. Here's what I would say to you. Uh, I typically tell people that they should, they should ask three questions and they should have three conversations. Okay? Uh, the three questions are these. And this is for what, as you discern whether or not you should leave what you're doing right now. The three questions are these in regard to the work you're currently doing. Number one, can I grow? Number two, can I smile? And number three, can I see? Can I grow, meaning is there opportunities for me to grow and be challenged and be changed in this work? Can I smile, meaning is there anything about this work that gives me joy? If it's not the people, can it be the work itself? If it's not the work itself, can it be some of the people? Can I find a means for joy in this place in any capacity? I might have to work for it, but is it there at all? And then lastly, can I see, meaning can I see how the Lord is blessing somebody other than me in and through this work? How is this work, even in a really small way, blessing somebody else? How can I answer that question? If the answer to all those questions is no, I can't grow, I can't smile, I can't see how God is doing good in this work, then it's probably time to go. As you consider new opportunities, I encourage three conversations. A conversation with a coworker, a conversation with an outsider, and a conversation with an elder. A conversation with somebody who's already done work with you, who knows what it's like to work with you, who knows what you're good at, who knows what you struggle with. It'd be good to talk about it with them. A conversation with a colleague who's outside of your field. Talk with them about the work that you've been doing, the work that you have the opportunity to do, and get their wisdom and their insight. They have a different perspective. And then lastly, talk to somebody who's got 10, 20, 30 years on you. Let them hear some of your concerns, some of your issues. Let them speak some of the truth that comes from having lived a little longer into your worries and your fears and your anxieties as you make this decision. That is my suggestion for you. I'll close with this. My first job was when I was 15 years old. I worked at Flushing Pharmacy in Flushing, Michigan. It was an old school drugstore owned by Howard Price. It was an old-school drugstore started in the early 1960s, and it was, it was like stepping into a time machine. You would walk in, and all the, all the decorations and everything they sold was dated. We sold lots of Hallmark cards, pushed a lot of drugs, and S&H green stamps. Remember S&H green stamps? Some of you remember those. 
these stamps you'd collect at drugstores and pharmacies, and you'd be like, I'm going to get a bike out of this book. Cool. Watch the Brady Bunch. They talk about it there. We did all that. It was my first job. And my responsibilities there were to sweep the floor and to run the register and to, um, at times, count pills and fill prescriptions at 15 years of age. Totally illegal, but I did do that. And it was a funny place to work. It was a, it was a wonderful place to work. Each, each night when the store would close, my boss and the owner, Howard Price, he would, he would lock the door, and we would, we would begin counting down the registers, and he would put polka music on the overhead speakers, like really loud. And then he would grab a can of sardines from this little food aisle in the store. He would grab a, grab a can of sardines and crackers, and he would have that as a snack. And then he would pour himself like a really small glass of scotch. And while the polka music is playing and while he's eating sardines, he would, he would gather up all the kids that worked for him and, and he would talk to us and he would, he would laugh and he would tell jokes and he would tell stories and he was curious about our lives and he would give us advice and wisdom. And he, he was very clear. He just enjoyed the people that worked with him. And when I, when I worked there for $5.25 an hour, I, I didn't learn much about how to run a business, but I did learn a lot about work. And what I learned from Howard Price was that work can be a joy when you work for others. The interesting thing about Howard is we all worked for him, technically, but it was very clear that he worked for us, for, for our joy, to, to serve us, to love us. He was a kind, generous, uh, compassionate man. He, he worked for his people that were on his team, and he worked for his, his customers that came through the door. Work is a joy when you work for others other than yourself. I got that job because Howard attended my church growing up. And one day we were sitting in the pew and my mom said, you need a job. And she looked over at Howard Price and she said, you need to go talk to him. I like to think that, that Howard learned what it means to do work joyfully and meaningfully from sitting in that pew. He learned it from Jesus as he saw the way Jesus went about his work in saving all of us. And that's ultimately my prayer for us, is that we would be brand new in how we approach the various callings that we have in our lives, that we would see them not as a curse, not as a climb, but indeed as a calling. God has put you there for a purpose. And, and that you would seek to serve rather than just prove yourself and strive, that you would seek to be faithful to the will of the Father. What does love require of me today for my client, for my coworker, for my kids, whoever it is, rather than just scratch the itch of your own desire, that you would seek eternal reward rather than merely earthly return. And that on the days where it is hard for you to work for others, that you would remember and you would know that Jesus Christ, each and every day, is at work for you. <laughs>